I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome in, man. I've been pumped. I missed that guy's face. Look at it. There's Sean Callahan. He's the man Husker online. It's Monday night. It's time for us to reconvene. And a lot has happened since we last spoke, or at least since I've been on the show. Sean, good to see you. Good evening, buddy. I know it's a busy, busy time. Yeah, it's been nuts. Obviously, um, the last two weeks we had the coach hiring and just all the things going on Thanksgiving. Um, But it's been a long two weeks, Jeff. I'm glad you're back. Uh, but Matt Rule, one week on the job today, um, has about half or six of his coaches hired in place. Um, still don't know the defensive coordinator. Um, still don't know how this recruiting class is going to shake out. But it, it's been quite a week here in Lincoln. Well, I was going to say, where do you want to start? Because obviously we got together last we saw each other was pre-Thanksgiving. So much has happened, like the hiring of Matt Rule, a big basketball win, transfer portal guys that have been identified that will be coming in to visit Nebraska, some players currently on the team that will be leaving Nebraska, and a whole bunch of speculation. So I don't know where you want to go. Do we want to start with, and I know you've done so much of this right now on Husker Online already, but from, from a distance, from what I could tell, obviously the Matt Rule hire was a home run hire with most Nebraska fans. But I thought the press conference was outstanding. I think Nebraska, obviously, if you just look at it financially, Sean, they're pulling no punches here. They understand this is it. This, I mean, at least for the athletic director, Trev Alberts, he understands I got to hit a home run here. We're willing to pay so that the staff can compete. And obviously resources have never been a problem in Nebraska. Yeah, $74 million to Matt Rule over eight years, um, salary pool of $7 million for 10 coaches plus a strength coach, which um, that number ranks, you know, in the top 10. For And I, I think I think those pool numbers are going to keep going up everywhere, though, every year um, as, as, as the money gets bigger. But um, he got what he wanted. I mean, he real to, – to, for Trev Alberts to get this guy, Matt Rule, I mean, they had to meet every demand. And mm-hmm. I think even in the final hour on Wednesday or Thursday night, he came at him with more. I mean, I think they knew that Nebraska wanted him, and to get him, it was a high price. And, you know, their, their plan B, as we know, was somebody like Lance Leipold, Dave Doran, maybe Luke Fickle. Um, but this was 1A, as Trev Alberts said. This was the guy they wanted um, all the way through, and they're paying a premium. And this is Matt Rule's show now. I mean, he's building the staff. Um, he's clearly the focal point uh, of kind of how things are being run right now. He's out present in a lot of different high schools locally. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot of intrigue on the staff, particularly defensive coordinator, who he's going to hire, um, more than likely. My guess is it's going to be somebody that he's worked with before. That's probably in the NFL right now. Um, Mm -hmm. that's not available because you know, nothing happened today. There's been some college names that were tossed out that might've been coaching on championship weekend. And none of those guys have emerged today. Now that could always change, but uh, it feels like this defensive coordinator may not be known for a few more weeks. 
Let's give credit while we're here, uh, Sean. I know off and on this year between you and me and Sip and uh, Robin to some extent and certainly Rosie at the end of shows, I mean, the thought was that this would always stay under wraps, that there would not be a leak. There'd be speculation by fans. There might be some speculation by talking heads like myself and things like that, but that there would be nobody that truly knew and it wouldn't get leaked. And it didn't, right? I mean, this thing right up to the very end did not get leaked. I know that's what every athletic director is trying to do, but it is hard to do in today's day and age. Well, they brought him to town. Think about that. I mean, they brought him to town, and it did get out. I mean, there there were underground. There's underground circles of Husker message board groups that, you know, they people did kind of find out that maybe he was here. Uh, now, nobody from a news agency could confirm that, so it right. never became mainstream. It was, but if you were kind of in underground groups of Husker fans, and there's a lot of them here, um, you know, there was chatter of Matt Rule being here. Um, emerging as the top guy, he came to town for the Illinois game, um, was in Lincoln, um, and they brought him in on a Saturday of a game day weekend and didn't bring him to the stadium during the game. So they figured everybody that was interested in the game is going to be in the game. So that was when they were able to drive him around on that home game weekend here in Lincoln. But it did stand to wraps. What's interesting about that whole story is he, I mean, it kind of fell apart. I mean, it didn't seem like this deal was going to happen, and he really wanted it to happen. It wasn't until Trev Alberts came back in to get him that really made this a possibility. And um, I would say Wednesday of Thanksgiving on that night before, that's when things moved forward. And then by Friday morning, it was done. You know, and by the way, since we last spoke, not only did this deal get done, and it's the bigger deal for us to talk about, but, you know, Rascal won a football game, too. And 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 they haven't done a lot of that when we talk, Sean. So it's like this little period of time has seen an uptick, I would think, in the hopes and expectations, however minimal. You get a huge name, spent gobs of money to get him. Obviously, they're going to spare no expense. They get a win over a rival in Iowa, which is a nice bonus. And then they get the upset win against Creighton in basketball. So it's a nice little run here right now. And now you're just going to wait to see who's coming and who's going and also who's to make up the rest of this stat. Yeah, the transfer portal stuff, um, you know, there's been eight scholarship guys yep. uh, that have gone in. I don't know if Trey can get the wire pulled up on um, on three, but uh, you, you look at the, the wire of guys that we have in right now. Alex Kahn went in today. Jalen Weaver went in. Marquise Black. Uh, those are three linemen that were kind of buried, you know, not, not a part of the action. Um, then you had um, some other guys. Sorry about that here. I don't know what I just did. Um, Jaden Gold went in, Camonte Grimes, Brant Banks. The big one's Ernest Hausman. Ernest Hausman from Columbus, Nebraska, was a linebacker that had really come on for Nebraska um, yeah. and played well. And that's last year's group. So could, can you flip it to 23? There you go. Um, so, yeah, Con Weaver, Black, that's today. Gold was Friday. Um, and then there are a few more that happened as well. Uh, Camonte Grimes from Naples, a receiver. Brant Banks, an offensive lineman. And then you have Ernest Hausman, who was mentioned as the big one. And then Decoldus Crawford tore his ACL. Um, you might remember him. He had the great um, heating and air conditioning commercial that went viral on social media. Um, but he was a Mickey Joseph guy. And Mickey brought him here. He was going to go to LSU. Um, but he put his name – I mean, I think it was almost known internally that he was done a month ago. So – um, I think that one didn't see it. And Isaiah Garcia Castaneda was the only player that put their name in the portal uh, following the Scott Frost hi- firing. You've got to figure, I mean, I, I figured that this amount of, in terms of players, 
Uh, Sean, that's not surprising, right? I mean, what a tumultuous last couple of seasons. I got to imagine, A, a new coach comes to town and will immediately garner interest from others outside the program, uh, including some big-name players. And then the players within the program have seen a lot of change, and they may not be here for the long haul to see more of it. So it's not surprising to get a pretty big sample size of players, right? Yeah, and, and the scholarship numbers for Nebraska that that's going to be the interesting thing what will be the total take I mean a year ago they were sitting in the same position and they figured out how to take like 34 players on scholarship well you got um, the extra seven last year because of the COVID situation right where no, they were actually this so the COVID thing was over uh super seniors counted on the number oh um, wow they got creative I think some walk-ons that probably should have been on scholarship um stayed as walk-on and then NIL kind of um, opportunities of NIL give guys scholarships and or money um, that would be like a scholarship, I think. So, you know, NIL's changed a lot of that. But um, Nebraska right now today uh, is at 70 scholarship players, um, or excuse me, 68, um, you know, heading into signing day. And I, I think that number is going to get lower. I think you're going to see it get closer to 60 um, when it's all said and done, which would allow them to take easily 25. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they pushed over 30 players again on this roster. But a lot of it's Matt Rule, too, and what he wants to do. Does Matt Rule want to get a bunch of transfers and try to quick fix it? Or is he going to take the slow build route and do it do it the way maybe it should be done? And I feel like that's how Scott Frost should have done it. And they, they, they tried to maybe skip a few steps and took some guys that just didn't work out here. And the, and the program got into a hole and they never got out of that hole. Um, well, so that rules approach will be interesting. Well, and also, Sean, you know, with the way that recruiting's changed now, the signing period's earlier, guys make decisions a lot earlier. And now you throw in the mix the transfer rule plus the transfer portal in general, NIL. I think it's tough for year one guys. I don't care if they're the biggest name in the sport. You get here so late. You think about when he's hired now and when signing day is. And you're still putting together your staff. You know, how are you to look a kid in the eye and say, I mean, it's hard to do right now. I feel like every first-year coach that comes in with the recruiting being pushed up the way that it is, you're really at a huge disadvantage in that first year as to what you can actually get done, get accomplished. Yeah, we've pushed the calendar up now. We're April, May, and June is kind of what the old December, January was. Right. So you're, 90% of your guys are going to be done, if not higher, in June or July and be committed. But then what happens is December with that new signing day, um, you really only, I mean, there's technically three visitor weekends, but this past weekend's pretty hard to do because uh, you might be playing championship weekend. You might be having other things going on um, with your own roster that you got to deal with like transfer portal. So really there's only two weekends in December now, no, December 9th, December 16th that you can actually bring visitors in. So it's extremely difficult for a new coach to come in right now and, and turn over too many new stones because of just what you're up against. Then what happens is January, you know, you're really not doing any 23 recruiting in January. January is kind of like what the old May used to be back in the day when head coaches could go on the road in the spring. Um, that's January. Now, like you're going to see high school, or you're, you're going to see big time football coaches showing up at high school basketball games of juniors and sophomores just to have a presence. Um, and, you know, I, I remember Thomas Fedoni, for example, you know, Jim Harbaugh went to his high school basketball game in Council Bluffs, Iowa. He's from the same high school as Max Duggan. And, you know, there's a kid in 
Ainsworth, Nebraska right now named Carter Nelson. Nebraska flew a private jet up there today because uh, mm-hmm. it would be about a five-hour drive, I think, to get up there, four and a half, five hours. Um, and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me in January if Matt Rule is going to go watch Carter Nelson play basketball on a Friday night. I mean, that that's January now. You're not really doing a lot of 23 recruiting. Um, I, I think you're going to see more of that going on. So you're right, Jeff. I mean, you've got to get a lot of things done here these next two weeks. Well, and one of those things would be to hire a defensive coordinator. What is the latest on that? Do you think he already has it? You alluded to it earlier. It may be a guy that he has that's in the National Football League right now. How does that work for him if you're trying to recruit defensive players? Yeah, there's a lot of questions. And, you know, you wonder about Ernest Hausman, um, what he thought uh, of kind of all, all the things going on because, you know, he, he didn't know who the defensive coordinator is and he didn't really know um, who the linebackers coach was. So, right. You know, I think as a guy like that, it's kind of tough, especially if you had a very good relationship with the previous coach that was coaching you, Barrett Rude, and whatnot. So, um, you know, Nebraska is looking at um, a linebackers coach named Dvorak right now. That's with the Panthers. That's rumored to be the guy at this point. I've heard Mike Saravo's name mentioned for defensive coordinator. Um, Schumann, who's a co-defensive coordinator at Georgia, is another name that keeps getting brought up, but. People I've talked to said he's not leaving Georgia for this job. He It's going to be a head job or something else. He's the Cody coordinator behind Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart. Um, you know, that that's you're, you carry that title there, but you know those two guys are calling the defense, I'm sure. Sure, sure. Now, it gets interesting now. I, I And also, one last thing, one layer to throw on this in our conversation, Sean, is that with Transfer Portal, you know, you see guys come in after the spring. You'll see some of that. It's it never ends, and and in many ways that could be a fruitful time for Nebraska once things are firmly established. Right, and get. I think they got to get a quarterback though, and I, that's another thing they got to figure out. You know, what is the quarterback going to be? Casey Thompson has a shoulder injury um, that could require surgery. If it requires surgery, it could be up to a six month recovery. Mm. Um, so if you're Matt Rule, are you going to roll the dice on a kid that's going to be 25 years old in October? as your quarterback, or do you need somebody here in the spring? Now, we nobody has emerged. Could it be Chubba Purdy? Could it be Logan Smothers? It's hard to say. I don't, I don't know about that. Um, but nobody, at least right now, has emerged. Um, they've made a total of three transfer portal offers right now, and that's it. Um, they've offered a receiver, a defensive end, and an offensive lineman. And so it's not like we've seen Nebraska make a bunch of new offers. I think they've offered guys that they need to offer. Probably the most notable portal offer to date has been Elijah Judy, mm-hmm. a Texas A&M, former four-star defensive lineman. Elijah Judy is going to visit Nebraska this weekend. Um, and, you know, he, he got kind of lost in the shuffle at A&M. They've got all those linemen they brought in a year ago, and uh, he's going to leave. He's from Philadelphia originally, and that's where um, Nebraska, you know, a lot of their staff has connections to Philadelphia with Matt Rule being at Temple. Um, so that's a guy to watch um, as Nebraska is in the picture with Elijah Judy. Um, they've offered, Syracuse has offered, Boston College has offered, Colorado. And by the way, did you know we opened Nebraska plays week two in Boulder, Colorado against Coach Primetime? Well, there it is. There you go. Well, it'll be a high-profile affair. He'll be scuffling to get players in there. Nebraska will hopefully be set and we'll have a lot more uh, assurances of what's what by the time that is played. I do, I do want to know this though. And I didn't get a chance to ask you in this opener before we bring sip in in a little bit. Um, Was there anything, well, in terms of the number of coaches currently on the staff, how many do you think Matt rule retains? If any, 
Um, right now, the only, I mean, Mickey Joseph was obviously a guy that had a chance to be retained. Um, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Obviously that's not going to happen now. No. Um, but I, I think the only one that's currently in play remains Donovan Riola. Um, he's an offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but Matt rule told Brock Knutson, one of Nebraska's four offensive line commits or three offensive line commits, excuse me, um, that th- they are interviewing and looking at four people for the old line job. Donovan Riola is one of the four. So I, it doesn't, I mean, I think today, right now, I, I'd be surprised if anyone's retained. I mean, unless it's Riola. But I think when you hear that there's four other, four people in contention, you know, th- those aren't great odds. Um, you know, I, I think if he was going to be the guy, they'd probably have him on the road right now recruiting. It's always so tough, too. But a lot of times, obviously, you get a new coach, especially a guy who now, obviously, with the with the money they're paying him, he, he's got to be sure that it's going to be his way or no way. And and most of the time, those guys come in and kind of, unless there's a legend on staff that is an automatic carryover, uh, they they tend to to let all these guys go. But uh, so that's not surprised to hear you say that, Sean. I see. Uh, Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. Sip is in the green room and we can get some thoughts from him as we welcome him into the program as well. Good to see you, Steve. How are you? Uh, Jeff, how are you doing? I'm great, man. I've been watching you all work really hard from afar and catch up on what's what on Husker Online. I did, you know, I wasn't here with you, and then everything happened. A win, a new coach, an upset in basketball, transfer portal. Good God, everything's happened. Yeah, and you're just sitting back there in the Florida sun, aren't you? I want to ask you right off the bat. You wrote a piece on this and you've always come at it from this angle. And I've appreciated that this entire year. Mm -hmm. What, what more can we say about Trevor Alberts, the athletic director, now that this complete saga, at least in terms of finding the coach and luring the coach and paying the coach is over. Well, there's a lot. I mean, it was a quite a, it was a saga, you know, it was a, Hey, I'll tell you what, what you learn is when you start a coaching search on September 11th, and you don't intend to finish it until after the season ends. So that's a that can be arduous. And it was a and and Trev described it, Jeff, as a long arduous prog- process to get to the end with rule. It occurred with fits and starts. I mean, Sean knows there was a time where it ended. I mean, where. Rule basically said, we can't, we're just not going to be able to go forward. We heard that. We heard it from a source close to rule, but I had a funny feeling, Jeff. I, I kept thinking, you know what? It, I, I was even asking the source that was close to rule. Could Nebraska wind its way back into this? And he would say, I don't think so. But then it kind of started to, it, you, you could tell that it was not over. So I guess what I'm saying, as far as what we learned about Trev is, He'll hang in there. He's creative. Um, he he will stay the course. He had to, but we also learned that he had backup plans that were pretty good ones. He didn't allow this to become 
oh, sort of unwieldy in the in the sense that it that it was a public fiasco. It never was a public fiasco. So, you know, there's a lot. I mean, Trev got a, I'd say a pretty good coach. He got a big name, but it wasn't easy. And um, you know what? Uh, a lot goes into that, Jeff. Well, was that was that a, initial a breakdown in negotiation? Do we know when you circle back on that? Was all was that just about the money? Or yeah, were, well, yeah, it was a Jeff. It was you know we do know now, and I heard then that it was more about years. Yeah, okay. Or even Jeff, even year. It was just one year, but those are important to coaches. An extra year, and there were some technicalities in this instance that had to do with this Carolina contract. I don't even know how to get into, but some of it was just technical in nature. So it was a three-way negotiation, Jeff. And that that's that's what made it what made it part of what made it hard. It was because he had four years and forty million dollars left with the Panthers. So that's it. I mean, he had to be creative. He had to be patient. Had to be, I think there, there's a level of toughness, mental toughness that you have to have. Hey, Sip, uh, we, got yes, a, we got a couple super chats here, and they're kind oh, of cool. on the same topic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot here, but Cole um, has a comment and wants your take. The staff seems inexperienced and young so far. And then Matthew, kind of a spinoff off that, Matthew mm-hmm. Calloway. Why have a $7 million staff budget and no big-name hires? I mean, what what is your take? Because that definitely seems to be where the conversation's at because that big-name defensive coordinator is not hired yet. Mm-hmm. Jake Peets, who's a bigger name, not official yet. But what is your take on this staff considering the $7 million salary? Well, first of all, I would say, Sean, and you know what? I just thought of this now um, as you were asking the question. How many big-name running backs coaches are there out there? How many big-name linebacker coaches? Who, who, who are they? I mean you – know, that, I think people look at where guys work at, mm-hmm. and then the internet really likes recruiters. Okay. I mean, if you're on sites like we're on and on three, immediately the educated fans go, okay, where did he coach? Who did he recruit? Okay, now now we've entered into a worthwhile discussion, okay? <laughs> uh, recruiters. You know this, Sean, Jeff. Uh, you talk to people, coaches. Coaches are telling me now that that's, that's, a, that's a worn out, conversation in this world it is it is passe recruiter you don't i mean all you need to do is throw money at these guys nil yeah nil yeah it's an antiquated discussion right sip yes thank you that's a good way yeah you're a man of words and you came up with a good one (laughs) antiquated is perfect i yeah yeah i mean i had a tennessee coach the other day people could put it together a tennessee assistant say recruiting a good recruiter. What what is that anymore? At Tennessee, they have a pile of money to throw at guys. So there's that. Now, as far as the staff goes, I'm not, Sean, I don't want to seem like I'm explaining this away, but the offensive coordinator they got, Marcus Satterfield, I would regard as kind of a big name. I mean, agree. Yeah. So, okay. When you're talking about big names, you're generally talking about coordinators. Well, one of them is a pretty big name, Marcus Satterfield. Um, now, defensive coordinator, we know that they had contact, with, at least the source told us that they had contact with Jim Leonard. So it's not like he's not trying, rules not trying. Leonard was going to stay at Wisconsin. 
I mean, his wife wanted to stay in the Madison area. Um, it was going to be hard to pull him out of there. Um, as far as that goes, we'll just have to see on the defensive coordinator. Jake Peets, I would say Sean would command $900,000 probably. So semi-big name as a quarterback's coach. But the last thing I'd say on the topic is my stance generally, guys, is to not not judge them coming in. I want to give them a year or two at this place because all jobs are unique. And and I would say I want to see what these guys got at Nebraska before just saying, oh, this guy's not very good. I mean, why, why, would, why do that? Why not see what he's like in this environment? Um, give him a year or two and then, and then try to make a judgment. Yeah, Sip and Sean and I were talking about this earlier in the modern era where they've moved up recruiting to the place where these kids have already made decisions. Any incoming coach at any school, mm-hmm. especially one that's struggled in the last 10, 15 years, you're not, it's hard to make an immediate impact in recruiting year one when you get here uh, because a lot of these kids, like we said, have already made their decisions and you haven't had a chance to build those relationships at all. I think every new coach starts a little behind the eight ball. It's not until a year from now that you begin to see them put their imprint in terms of recruiting and building those relationships. Absolutely, Jeff. And the last thing, Sean and Jeff, I'd say is to a certain degree, you have to trust your head coach. You have to trust your $74 million head coach, right? That he, that he's putting a lot of thought into why this certain coach will work in this certain job. I don't want to just assume that he called the running backs coach and what's his name, EJ, EJ Barthel, um, and and said, hey, I got an opening. You want it? I, I, I bet there's more thought put into it. We know he's, he's interviewing four offensive line coaches. Um, so, I mean, I think you do that. You have to put trust in the high dollar coach that you hired. What what intrigues me, Sip, about Rule is he is a true CEO. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't label Frost in that role. No. Riley really wasn't in that role. Oh, I would. Riley, I'd say, yeah. Um, but Riley didn't really have a good finger on all elements of the program. Well, I, I mean, it's because he was semi-retired, but um, I, I, <laughs> Bo, Bo was not that. I mean, Bo was not a great, um, Bo, I want to think about that, Sean. I mean, he sees Bo ran the defense, but I'd say Bo was a pretty good CEO. Pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, but rule is closer to a Callahan style where Callahan had his hands on everything. I feel like that's how rule has been. I mean, with the recruiting, the pro, I mean, just everything he's done, you know, this is his program. He really has a grip on things, and, and he's he's pushing a lot behind the scenes. Yeah, and I want to be careful here, Sean. And you, should, I counsel you to be careful when you when you say like Bo wasn't a good CEO. He wanted a seven hundred clip. I mean, what what? Why was he not good? I mean, he he won at a huge clip. He never won fewer than nine games. I mean, that suggests to me he was a good CEO. Frost, uh, what was his final record? Sixteen and thirty one. That alone suggests he wasn't a very good CEO, but he came in, Sean, and you remember, there was a certain things he didn't even know. I mean, I don't think he had a good handle on who the kicker was. Um, I don't think he paid close attention to special teams. Um, And, you know, there's all these other ancillary details that head coaches got to worry about, and that wasn't Scott's forte. 
Well, and I want to clarify some things in the chat where people are asking questions. Okay. Not that you can't have, and we're not saying, I don't think any of us have said, uh, that you can't have an impact in year one that's to the betterment of a program just because you're new and how uh, moved up that timeline is. Uh, but it is very hard to establish any sort of relationships where you don't have prior relationships. And I don't know that Matt Rule does in the Nebraska area. Um, and, and when you get there and, and signing day is two weeks away. Right. Um, pretty damn difficult to do that. And unless you are uh, a charismatic figure who is uh, a, a PR machine in the form of Deion Sanders, people are not flocking to knock down the door to come to a program that has struggled immensely for a number of years. And we'll see how Dion does. It came up in the chat. But I, I do think for Nebraska, it, 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 it's or with any school that hires a guy this late in the game, that first year, you're going to have a mixed bag of results. There have been coaches who've had success and then turned around the following year and failed. See Michigan State this year as opposed to last. You can do this with a number of schools that I could point to. And what mm -hmm. always happens as the prime example is teams, fans point to the school that did it, that had yep. the success in year one, and then conveniently forget about them two and three years later when they're not successful or <laughs> vice versa. It happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. Hey, that's a veteran, Sean, talking there. That's exactly. No, that is. That's good. I mean, Jeff, you, you have to, you know, for every Sonny Dykes, there's a there's a bad there's a situation that needs time to build. I mean, there's a Baylor with with rule um, going. What was he, Sean, in his first year at Baylor? One and eleven. One and eleven. So for every Sonny Dykes walking into a lot of talent, by the way, pretty good team. Um, there's a there's a Matt rule that struggles at, in his first year at Temple and his first year at Baylor. Now, here's the deal, though. What's interesting, going away from recruiting, me and Sean were talking about this today, Jeff. You look at Nebraska's defense, and it is not a stretch to think they would have 10 starters back. Um, maybe 11. I mean, you can say 11 right now, but that's with O'Shawn Mathis. Um, now, Mathis has already tweeted about the possibility of going to the pros. Now, it's a possibility. Um, but, Sean, Jeff, I mean, you're talking about 10. 10, 11 defensive starters back from a defense that came to play pretty well as the season went on. And you know what? Top 25 in yards per play allowed, yards allowed per play, top 26. So, I mean, there's stuff here on defense for sure. Let me go back to – I wanted to chime in on that recruiting comment we talked about because okay. we've seen recruiting at Nebraska with glamour and glitz and – We've, we've lived these great Friday night light camps and all the great things, like, but it hasn't done anything for Nebraska. I, mean, I, I do sip agree with Trev Alberts about the recruiting side of things that Nebraska needs to be a developmental program. They got to get good recruits. We all agree that, but mm -hmm. they've got to develop better because uh, Nebraska has won a lot of signing days the last 15 years, and it hasn't really done much for them. Here, here's, here's, a, here's a stat for you guys. Look at Kansas State the big 12 champion Kansas state's 2018 class 52nd Kansas state's 2019 class 68 Kansas state's 2020 class 49th Kansas state's 2021 class 63rd Nebraska during that same time period 21st 18th 17th and 18th I mean it does it's not meaningless to recruit to have, you know, top 25 recruiting classes, but Kansas state and TCU for that matter are pretty good examples of teams 
that that don't have top 15 recruiting classes or even close to it and and TCU's in the you know college football playoff and Kansas State just won the Big 12. Sean, you're exactly right. Get the right players and just to develop just just develop the hell out out of them. And Nebraska's done that with guys. You can find guys that have developed well, just not enough of them. You, I mean, what ends up happening is you bring in too much star power in recruiting. You have to pr- they make promises to get those guys here. And then those promises have them jump other guys that have put more work in and maybe are just as good, but they get jumped. And then it creates problems in your in your locker room and your culture. And and that's happened a lot at Nebraska. I know it has because I hear about it. Yeah. And I I think you've got to create the proper culture and, and internal bill. I mean, Kansas State, I guarantee they're not bringing in guys and say, nope, you're going to start right away. I mean, they they had to earn it, and and they're playing in the Sugar Bowl now. Yeah, how about that? Look and look at them play, guys. Jeff, if you watched, it's them. fun to watch. Yeah, well, it's they, fun yeah, real yeah. hard edge, real really tough hard edge teams, and they put they're really complimentary. I mean, all three units are good and they play complimentary football. It's just a well-run operation. Well, and, and, and there's, there's a culture there. There's a culture that's been created. You guys talked about that. You know, I, I've had to cover a culture that had to be flipped here at Florida state and yeah. watching that culture flip into this season after a losing season, the previous two, you know, mm-hmm. you you can see the moment it happens. It's usually when players uh, take ownership of the team after they've bought in to whatever that guideline of success is from the head coach that when he arrived, this is how we're going to do things. And if they're unwavering in that messaging and to a man, the coaches followed as well as the players, then you see the culture flip. Then it becomes a place people want to come play. Well, even before you started winning a ton of games, but that takes that too takes some time. But let me ask Jeff, let me ask Jeff a question, Sean, if you don't mind um, off the beaten path a little bit, I I follow Florida state because my brother's one of my brothers is down there. Is are are people going to start clamoring for prime time? No, because he's got the Colorado job and now they won't have to worry about it. But there is a segment of that group that would always want Dion because he is glitz glamour and obviously an all-time great player here. But I would tell you that uh, there's enough people at the university that wouldn't want to go that route because of some things in Dion's past that rubbed him the wrong way. And Dion hasn't been around Florida State a lot since he left Florida State. So it's a weird convoluted discussion when it comes to Dion as one of the greatest players in the history of college football. He certainly was, and there's no getting around that. And he certainly was a superstar at Florida state. But I, I think a lot of people feel relieved uh, that, that he's gone and taken the Colorado job. And also that Florida state won nine games this year with a chance to get to 10 and that things have worked out now for Norvell because those kids really like playing for him. Great insight. I mean, that is real. Thank you, Jeff. That's sure. I'm glad I am really glad I asked. Yeah. That's a complicated one. Yeah, it is. <laughs> or let's bring in Robin. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks, guys. Hey, hey thanks for having me on. That was beautiful. Thanks, Sip. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I haven't seen Robin in a while, but he's here now. Sorry to make you wait, Robin. I'm going to blame Sean. You're on mute, Mr. Washington. You're muted, Robin. 
Yeah. So even that, I will blame Sean for my mic being muted there. Let's let's just keep it going. Well, you had to you sit there long enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually when Rosie pops on, I just hit mute and you know just let him go. Hey. So talk to me about basketball. Yeah. How about that? Uh, right? Sunday was a day to remember for Nebraska basketball. Uh, something that they hadn't done since 2004 and if you go back to a regular season game 1995 and that's go up to omaha and beat in-state rival creighton the number seven team in the country uh nebraska had to play pretty much a perfect game plan in my opinion to pull off that upset and really even to keep it competitive well they did that and went above and beyond uh, their defense was as good as we've seen certainly this season and i think it's a fair statement to say the best defense that's been played under Fred Hoiberg um, and might be not much close uh, to that, uh, just given the, the level of opponent and the uh, venue in which they play. Nebraska's gone up to the CHI Center many times and been blown out of the gym where the game's over by the first media timeout. That was not the case on Sunday. They played, uh, like I said, as stout defensively as you could ask, and then Derek Walker and Sam Greasel, that two-man game offensively, Creighton had no answer where Derek Walker was bullying uh, seven foot one Ryan Kalkbrenner in the paint. Sam Greasel was backing down smaller guards and doing whatever he wanted um, in, the, in the post. And so really, like I said, everything that needed to happen for Nebraska to have a chance happened and then some. And now uh, they're riding three straight wins over high major competition, going back to the win over Florida State, beating Boston College in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and now finally beating their in-state rival, Creighton uh, to where, you know, we knew December was going to be a grueling stretch for this squad where you have Creighton and Wednesday night. Oh, you got to go to Bloomington and play Indiana. Oh, and then on Saturday, Purdue is coming to town. And then you got to go play Kansas State, who's surpassing expectations early on in a quote unquote neutral site game down in Kansas City. So this was uh, about as daunting of a December stretch as there is in the country. And Nebraska got off to as good of a start as you possibly could have imagined. What do you think? I mean, is this style sustainable, Robin, what they're playing right now? Can Will this hold up week to week in the Big Ten? Well, not every team they play is going to go 10 of 40 from three-point range like Creighton did. But defense travels. If they play like that defensively, yes, that is sustainable. Um, you know, that that effort that they showed. And not just, you know, it wasn't just the the, the, the pressure that they were applying. They were baiting Creighton into mistakes. They were playing a really deceptive kind of scheme where they were kind of leaving passing lanes open and then jumping them, creating turnovers, deflecting passes, and their rebounding was excellent. So, I mean, that, those are the types of things, yeah. I mean, you do that against – I don't care who you're playing, you're going to have a chance. The offense continues to be a question. Um, you know, obviously, Derek Walker has been fantastic. Uh, he's averaging 17, almost 18 points per game over the last three outings. Eventually, you know, they're going to run into some teams that are going to take him out of the equation by doubling him when he gets – the ball in the post and, you know, just making somebody else beat him. Sam Greasel has benefited as much as anyone with Derek Walker's return to where now he's able to be utilized more as a scorer and not just the primary facilitator. So he has to continue to be involved, but they need other pieces. You know, you've seen flashes of, you know, CJ Wiltshire here and there, Casey Tominaga here and there. Uh, but, you know, the good news is they have a lot of guys that can step up. But there's just not that proven next man up right now where you know if that if they take away Derek and Sam's having a, a rough game for whatever reason, you know, you just don't know who else is going to be that next guy up. But again, the flip side is 
they have several players that could potentially fill that role on any given night. Robin, what's amazing is Walker did all that in 23 minutes. I mean, that was like as productive of a 23 minutes as you're going to see. Yeah, I mean, because he got two early fouls in the first half, and they had to kind of just buy some time with him on the bench. And that was a little dicey there when he was not on the floor because without him, their offense is not the same. Um, you know, when they get into the half court, Derek Walker makes everything click to where they get him the ball in the high post and it draws out the center from away from the rim. And everybody just has a lot more movement and opportunity away from the basketball with him on the floor. But when he's not there, you know, everything has to run through Sam or whoever the primary point guard is. And they get a little stagnant at times. And so um, they got some very quality minutes out of Blaze Cada out of Wilhelm Breidenbach. But again, uh, they needed Derek out there for every bit of those 23 minutes that he played. And, you know, again, foul troubles. He dealt with that a little bit last year where he would pick up early fouls and be taken out of the game. And Nebraska didn't have anybody else that could replicate what he did. They have more depth in the post now, but still there's no one that can do what Derek Walker does for this team, uh, at least in that front court. So that's going to be a critical thing. You want to talk about, is it sustainable? They have to keep him on the floor and he has to be able to defend without fouling and keep himself on the floor for as much as possible. Robin, final thing. What would be a reasonable expectation moving forward for this team? Just big picture. Uh, I, I, I get the sense, obviously, just from, from reading and watching what little I've seen of Nebraska this year, that it is a better product and fans are excited about it. That's uplifting. What is the thought moving forward about where they'll be uh, in the conference? Yeah. I mean, as, positive as Sunday was the reality is that you know they have a very short amount of time to enjoy it where you know you know you're going to Bloomington and playing uh the preseason number one in the Big Ten now you're going to play a top four Purdue team on Saturday so I mean that's just life in this conference right now uh and life of Nebraska's schedule to where there are no days off from here on out uh I mean even their their game they have a game December 20th against Queens University of Charlotte and they're exceeding expectations like they beat Marshall this year I mean so like even that's going to be a little more difficult than expected so I mean it's the season is an absolute grind they only have 15 home games uh 27 of their 31 games are against high major competition and 20 of them obviously against big 10 teams so you know you look at the net rankings that came out today nebraska was 59th it's been a long time maybe since 2018 uh 18 19 since they were rated that high uh but i think they were like ninth in the big 10 so i mean there's a lot of teams that are considered better according to the net rankings than nebraska is already that they still have to play. So, you know, I, what I've kind of my message going into this season has always been, this is the best team Fred Hoiberg has had at Nebraska. And I don't think it's close uh, just as far as their capability of competing in the big 10, but the degree of difficulty of this schedule makes it hard for me to say, look at their win less loss record. That's going to reflect how improved they are. I think that fans need to watch this team and make their own observations and just base it on the optics of engage their own level of improvement and see for themselves like they played against Purdue, like they have the past two games uh, before that. And those examples of the improvements this program has made, even if the wins, you know, I, I picked them to win 10 games going into the year. Maybe you add a couple more onto that, but I still think that this the progress that Fred has made with all the offseason moves and changes is going to be more reflected in the optics of watching this team than it will be in their final win-loss record. Fair enough. 
Have a good night, Robin. Thank you. Appreciate you. See you guys. Be good. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, there's Rosie. He's ready. We've come, we, we've come to an end on a search that I never wanted to end. I was being selfish. <laughs> I wanted to see the band get back together every week for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. Although... That would have been uh, cruel and unusual for all the Nebraska fans waiting to find out the big news. I rather enjoyed this segment that much. Jeff, we went through that in 2003. Uh, we had that experience, that 45-day joyride. So that's <laughs> enough for several lifetimes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so welcome back in. And first of all, good evening, good sir. Uh, I guess I would ask you, since I haven't had the chance to, I know you've commented on it publicly were you surprised or was that about what you thought we would get? That is the hire that you thought they were going for. Uh, I got an indication about 24 to 36 hours ahead of time. Uh, and mostly it was a process of elimination that Matt rule was the guy. Uh, what threw me off. And I think what threw a lot of folks off was that this thing was heating up in the early part of November and then it all broke off. And I got some indication that it was breaking off. And usually when something breaks off, it doesn't come back together again in a short period of time. So we all have this impression that Matt Rule was the guy. And then as we found out uh, during the course of uh, his announcement and, and his sharing of information with all of us, that in fact it did break off, that the gulf was just too great, the delta was too wide, uh, and it looked like Nebraska was going to have to go in a different direction. Uh, and that's probably when the Lance Leipold stuff got very, very serious because Trev from the very beginning probably had a list of three or four guys on his top line uh, and he would be perfectly satisfied with any of those three or four, maybe two to three. He'd be perfectly happy with those. So uh, I don't think this was by any means a consolation prize. In fact, whether Matt Rule was one or one A or maybe there were two other guys in there, I don't think it really matters because I think a great AD has two or three people that are at the top. Uh, and Steve Peterson is the last athletic director who had one guy uh, and uh, just rode that one guy probably for most of a month and then found out that that one guy, Mike Sherman, was not coming. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's that's a lesson that a lot of his following ADs, those who followed him in the position, learned. And that is don't ever have one guy. you got to have a lot of guys. And Bill Byrne used to I used to visit with Bill Byrne about this. He always had multiple guys. For every coaching position, he called it his bus list. In the event that his coach gets hit by a bus, who does he call? <laughs> <laughs> and he had a list. I said, any chance you're going to share that list with me? He goes, no chance, but it's here. <laughs> and if something happens or, you know, there's a major issue with a coach where he has to leave, boy, that's never happened. We've never had any off-the-field incidents with Nebraska football coaches or anything. You've got to have a list of guys you can go to in an emergency situation and not lose control of it. But I also think this, fellas, and I'm sure you probably discussed it, and if so, I apologize for plowing over ground that's already been corned. But I got to tell you, um, I think there was, a, there was a, a, an epiphany in the mind of this athletic director 
uh, about a week or so before, maybe even less than that, before Matt was hired. And that was, how do we overcome this gulf? Uh, because Trev really is a steward of the finances. This guy has been very successful in his own right financially. He's a very, very successful business guy. He and his family own farms in Iowa. Uh, and he's a very, very, very shrewd and successful business guy. Uh, and he is that way because he's very careful with dollars that get invested. He knows where they're going, why they're going there. Very thoughtful. So he was thinking, you know, do we need to spend this kind of money on a coach? And, you know, kept coming back to what's the best investment? What's the best investment? And uh, I'm sure that Admiral Carter, uh, President Carter said to him, look, Trev, it, you don't want to get to Sunday afternoon at four o'clock and not have your guy. Uh, and if that means we have to spend an extra 25 or $30 million over 10 years to get this guy, let's do it. It's not about half. They've got plenty. That's not the issue. Nebraska has lots and lots and lots of money. But I don't think that Trev um, started to think in terms of, okay, how do I get the next guy? I think he thought, this is the guy I want. And Admiral Carter backed him up. So that's a good thing for Nebraska. Certainly never felt like money was going to be an issue. So that would have been years. And, and, and so, yeah, you can't look, if that's the guy you want, Rosie, then you can't lose him over what turns out to be long-term, not that much money considering what Nebraska makes and what they're about to make with the big 10 contract and everything else. And what, what the, the money will look like if Matt rule gets this program back into the top right. 10. Yeah. Uh, then it's it's the best seven it's the best nine point six million dollars per year, which is what it's going to average out to that you've ever spent, and that's really that's the construct anymore, guys. It's, it can't be okay. What are we spending? It has to be what what will this be worth if it all works out? It works. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the two and a half million they paid Lance Leipold at Kansas uh, is the best two and a half million they've spent over the first two three seasons, and now he's going to be up there. But that, that two and a half million that they gave him to start was really well spent because they're looking at spending 300 million on a new stadium to keep them. Uh, so you look at it that way, and I think you're in good shape. What frustrates, I think, a lot of Nebraska fans is that we paid a lot of money to a lot of guys, and it hasn't worked out. And in particular, the most recent head coach. I mean, that guy walked out of here with $35 million and 16 wins. That's the thing that sort of sticks into the craw of Husker fans. But um, in this case, it's the game. You got to play it. And I think I had a commentary on KFAB that detailed this, and it is. In this new Big Ten, you're either in or you're out, okay? And with USC and UCLA coming in here to take on the big three-headed monster, Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State, Nebraska and Wisconsin made a very, very strategic decision. We are going all in because we have to win this conference or come very close. Which means if you're sitting in Iowa City right now, if you're sitting in Bloomington right now, if you're sitting in Evanston right now, you're sitting in uh, a lot of spots, West Lafayette, you got to make a decision. You got to sober up and make a decision. Are we in or are we out? Because if we're going to be in, we got to go big. And Iowa, I think, missed a huge opportunity with Mark Stoops to go in big. And we'll see. Although I give. I give Iowa a little credit for finally getting a Division One quarterback. Into so they got a quarterback. This week. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, in my in Rosie's sweepstakes, in Rosie's coaching sweepstakes, yeah, uh, Iowa comes in. 
honorable mention at number five. And actually, it's not Kirk Ferentz. It's Cade McNamara because he <laughs> saved Kirk Ferentz's gig and probably Brian Ferentz's gig, too. This is the best transfer portal get so far. We'll have a lot of great transfer portal gets. But in Rosie's sweepstakes, I think Deion Sanders is the best hire for the school for the in school. this season. They had to get this guy. I mean, Colorado has every single solitary attribute you find in a losing program. They have nothing there except a great view from Folsom Field. That's it. They don't have fans. They don't have media. They have a transient fan base and a transient alumni base. They're in the middle of the most passionate sports market, pro sports market in North America. They had to get Deion Sanders. They had to get a guy who would walk in and say, I'm so confident about life, I don't even wear cologne. That's what you have to have in Boulder. And they got that. So I actually give them a lot of credit. I don't know if it's going to work out. If you look at what he did at Jackson State, granted, it's a totally different level. But if, if you look at what he did there, the body of work there, he made players better. He took players that were very raw and lacked a lot of fundamentals and turned them into winning football teams. And that says something. Uh, let's see what he does with staff, because that was the big reason he didn't get the Arkansas job. They weren't sure that he knew who to hire to come into the SEC and compete. But Luke Fickle's a great hire for Wisconsin. I, I was stunned when that happened. I, I didn't think he'd leave Cincinnati for Wisconsin, but that's a hell of a hire for them. And that says we're in. And I don't know why or how Jim Leonard is staying there. Uh, I don't know if he's even going to be defensive coordinator. But that's, that, that's more surprising to me than even Luke Fickle getting the job the Jim Leonard, who expected to get the job, didn't. And he's staying there on the staff. And then for Liberty to get Jamie Chadwell, I, I think that's a lateral move, fellas. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't really get that. Has Liberty become like the new BYU? Well, they're willing to spend a lot more money than most other schools, so he may have done that simply for the money. Yeah. I thought he was on the brink of a D1, a Power 5 job. Uh, he did a great job at Coastal. Coastal, I mean, Joe Moglia built that program. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of players down there on the Redneck Riviera. Uh, it's really a fun place to go and be. Uh, and I got to tell you, there's just such a tremendous recruiting opportunity there, even with the competition, that how is it better in Lynchburg, Virginia, than it is down in Conway, South Carolina? Just a question. But uh, that, that's a, a lateral move to me. And then Hugh Freeze going to Auburn. Uh, that's perfect for both of them yeah. <laughs> because Hugh has no compunction about calling up a donor on Monday and asking, am I still employed today? Yeah. And that's the construct at Auburn. <laughs> and this is a guy who did cash, who did cars, who did hookers, who found women to take tests for the players right. and had an escort of his own at Ole Miss. So for him to get back into the SEC is a perfect fit. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Well, and it always made sense for Liberty to bring him on, too. Isn't that right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's rehab now. You know, he went there. He saw, you know, the almighty, and he's better now. Well, if he's really better now, he wouldn't have gone to Auburn.
No, uh, he was never going to be better. Just like they were insincere in their endeavor there. And Auburn is at least out in the open with what they're trying to do. He's like, hey, I've always been about this. I had to go to Liberty. Good to be back in the SEC. <laughs> <laughs> What's really ironic is that Turner Gill once coached at Liberty. Wow. And Turner Gill is one of the, the truly straightest arrows I've ever met in my <laughs> life. This guy was not only a great football player, tremendous competitor, and an excellent leader. But this guy, you talk about Mr. Clean. Mr. Clean was TG. Okay, He was surrounded by some interesting people back in those days, notably Irving Fryer, Mike Rozier, and Jamie Williams. But uh, in, the guy was just a fabulous person. And I thought Liberty was a great fit for him. So for them to, and he was, for them to go from Turner Gale to Hugh Freeze says, I don't know where Liberty is anymore and if they're following the same pathway. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think the answer is resounding no. I think when they hired a few frees, they answered it for you. But uh, I will ask you this final thing, Rosie. What, what, and, and Sean, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? Cause you might have had a question. Oh, no, no, you're good, Jeff. Take it, take it away. I was just gonna, I was just gonna ask you uh, before we sign off tonight. Okay. What next do you want to see from Matt Rule that signifies to you? We're off to a good start here. What it could be something very negligible in the eyes of many, maybe small, insignificant, but it's important to you, or it could be a grandiose statement. I don't know. What would that be for you to say? All right, I feel good. That's a good first move. I'm going back to my default position, fellas, and that is staff. Uh, the single biggest problem that Scott Frost had, in addition to a lack of overall head coaching skills, he had no idea who to put on his staff. And we can date this all the way back to Frank. Uh, and we can go back all the way to Coach Solich. Do you have the right people in your program? Do you have the right people on your staff making day-to-day -day decisions and in-game decisions? Uh, do we have the people who can develop players? First of all, get them, develop them. And then when the game starts, win the headset battle. Because it can't just be the head coach anymore. And I believe the great programs today truly do have outstanding coordinators, an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, a special teams coordinator, and a recruiting coordinator. You have to have those four people. They have to be five stars. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I think Satterfield is a guy that has certainly done it. Um, he had some tremendous, tremendous games this year calling plays for South Carolina. But the SEC doesn't play a hell of a lot of defense to begin with, certainly not like the Big Ten. So the, to me, it's going to be, is he getting people to serve on this staff who can literally take this program with him? Because I don't believe the head coach. I just don't think the Bill Snyder, Tom Osborne model exists anymore, where they are in charge of everything. They are so detail-focused that they wonder about, you know, the size of the numbers on the jerseys. <laughs> Those days are over. You've got to have great coordinators, like great vice presidents. If it's a corporation, and that's what Nebraska football is, it's a. It'll be when the new TV deal kicks in. A one hundred and what twenty million dollar corporation, one hundred and twenty five million dollar corporation unto itself. So you better have great VPs, and your VPs are your coordinators. These guys have to be capable of being head coaches themselves. And you hope the head coach is secure enough like Bob Devaney was. Because Bob Devaney had arguably in his career in Nebraska the two best defensive coordinators in the country in George Kelly and then Monty Kiffin. 
And it's obvious he had the best offensive coordinator in the country with Tom Osborne. And he was secure enough to surround himself with guys who later became head coaches. Yeah. I mean, look at all of the guys on his staff who became head coaches. If they wanted to be, Kiffin, Jim Walden, Warren Powers, Tom, Carl Selmer, they all wanted to be head coaches and they became head coaches. So I really think the key for this guy, because uh, I think he can recruit, there's coach and there's Carl Selmer there on the left. Uh, you know, he's... He's obviously an accomplished organizer. He's got a passion. He lights up the room. He's, he's, I think it's genuine. I've seen film of him talking about things other than football, and I'm impressed by him. Uh, I think this is a really good hire. But is he going to put this football program in the hands of capable assistants? I've always believed, and this was never fully illuminated, but I've always believed, with all due respect to Tom, Milt Tenneper knew that offense as well, if not better, than Coach Osborne. He was the unsung superstar of that staff for years, not just as a recruiter and a player developer, but he knew that offense. He knew that offense like Bill Walsh knew the, the West Coast offense. We need a guy like that, uh, call in place uh, and build a game plan. So that'll be for me, who is his defensive coordinator and who will be his recruiting coordinator and who will be his special teams coordinator. And every one of those guys, in my view, needs to be capable of being a head coach or we didn't get the right guy. Sean, Rosie, Trey producing back in the studio. It's been real. It's been good to be back with all you guys. And it's fun talking about all that's on the plate. Husker online for those that haven't signed up. What are you waiting on? We're just getting started. There it is. It's a measly 25 bucks for the entire year. You Christmas every week. <laughs> Rosie, you're the best buddy. 25 bucks. What a Chris, that's a stocking stuffer in the that's Sean Callahan cute. household. Sign up right now. Get it done. We got apples and oranges in our stockings, Rose. You know, most <laughs> of us, you know, I most of us have a $5 limit on stocking stuffers. But Sean Callahan is a $25 that's limit right. on stocking stuffers. That's right. So if you want to stuff that Husker fan stocking and make him or her smile this holiday season, 25 bucks to get Huskers. Ooh, Husker and it's the gift that gives year round. <laughs> Just keeps on giving. Guys, right. thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. I hope we didn't kill the audience. No, um, great and I, hope we, I hope we didn't put anybody in trouble. But then again, you know, since we're not on the air, we're not under FCC violations, so we can do about anything we, we want. We could have done anything we wanted. We yeah. could get, get wild as the year goes on, guys. You just never right. know. Well, spring uh, practice will be here before we know it. Yeah, that's true. All right, uh, Rosie, it's good to see you. Our thanks to Trey and uh, Sean, obviously. It's always good to be with you, buddy. Um, we'll do it again here real soon, and everybody get signed up. And it's easy. You can see why. They've got expertise just brimming. It's everywhere. You'll Everywhere you look, Husker Online. Uh, you'll get the latest and the greatest and the best news that uh, I think Nebraska fans can find anywhere. That's for sure. So, Sean, have a good night, man. It's, it's a pleasure as always. And be well to everybody out there who watch. We appreciate you. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs>